Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, January 28th, day 114 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our legal reporter, Jeremy Sharon, for an in-depth one-on-one following the International Court of Justice ruling on Friday. Hi, Jeremy. Good morning, Amanda. We will delve into the specifics of the ruling and make some sense out of the next steps for Israel. Also, Jeremy will preview a controversial conference he's set to attend tonight about the resettlement of Gush Katif in the Gaza Strip. All this and much more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. First, some headlines. For the fifth day, a group of protesters is heading towards the Keren Shalom crossing in an attempt to block the entry of humanitarian aid into Gaza. High-intensity fighting continues in southern Gaza's Khan Yunus. The Wall Street Journal reports that after 114 days of fighting, as much as 80% of Hamas's tunnel system beneath Gaza could still remain intact. The New York Times and the Associated Press are reporting that CIA Director Bill Burns is expected to discuss the contours of an emerging hostage release agreement when he meets tonight in France with David Barnea, the head of Israel's Mossad intelligence agency, also the Qatari prime minister, and the Egyptian intelligence chief. Negotiators have apparently drafted a tentative agreement bringing together Israeli and Hamas demands that would see the rest of the hostages released and fighting paused for up to two months, according to the news outlets. Jeremy, let's turn to Friday's ruling from the International Court of Justice on the matter of whether Israel is abrogating the Genocide Convention. On the one hand, it seems to me no immediate ceasefire was declared, which is kind of a win for Israel. But on the other hand, the case is still very much alive. It seemed to me as though the court was simultaneously considering many issues. So what were these issues, first of all? We see differentiation between the primary issue of is Israel committing acts of genocide currently and actively, and other kind of what you might consider slightly um, ancillary issues of, of the issue of humanitarian aid and incitement to genocide. The issue is, however, is that within the Genocide Convention, incitement to genocide and uh, depriving a population of the conditions or cre- creating conditions of life in, in a territory designed to bring about their destruction, those are parts of the Genocide Convention. Those are considered acts of genocide. Now, the question which I have is this. 
the court did not seem to believe, I think, that Israel is currently committing acts of genocide. Why? Because if, if, it, if it did think that, then surely it would have ordered Israel, it would have complied with South Africa's request to issue an order ordering Israel to cease fire immediately. And it would have also, it wouldn't have used this kind of very neutral language of prevent, it, it orders Israel to prevent genocide. It would have used the, the language which the South Africans use and which is normal in these kind of legal proceedings in such a situation to desist from acts of genocide. But that, that's not the case. Now, this, this actually pre- presents a, uh, a bit of a, a dichotomy here for the court, because on the one hand, if they don't think that act of, acts of genocide are actually taking place, or if they do not believe there is plausibility to South Africa's uh, allegations, then on what basis are they actually ordering the other, issuing the other orders? Let me explain. The court's only mandate in this case is over genocide, because that is what South Africa is alleging, and that is the only treaty which Israel is signatory to, which the, the International Court of Justice has jurisdiction over. So if the court did not see fit to order us to desist from acts of genocide, on what basis is it, all, is it issuing the provisional measures? It only has jurisdiction over genocide. So I, I think there's a, a, you know, a, a concern here, perhaps, that, you know, what did the court think that if it just dismissed the case out of hand, considering the massive destruction in Gaza, as well as the highly problematic comments by some Israeli officials, maybe the court thought it would look silly. And therefore, it decided to intervene on one step in terms of the the issue of the humanitarian aid and the incitement to genocide. But on the other hand, you know, remain uh, more measured in terms of of not ordering Israel to cease fire because it has, as Judge Aaron Barak, uh, the Israeli ad hoc judge said, you know, very, you know, scant evidence that there is any genocide going on. Jeremy, there were a couple of things that Aaron Barak did say that in, uh, Israel was culpable of. What were these points? So Barak did vote uh, in favour of two of the provisional measures requested by South Africa. One was to take measures to prevent and punish incitement to genocide. And one was the the, the measure calling on Israel to send humanitarian aid to Gaza, increase humanitarian aid to Gaza to alleviate the uh, dire humanitarian situation there. The, the issue of the humanitarian aid is is quite critical in this, in this issue, and I'll explain why. As I said, one of the provisions of the Genocide Convention is specifically um, what is considered genocide, bringing about the conditions of life that is designed to destroy uh, a population or a part of the population. And here, if you look at the comments which were made, uh, the, the comments which the court cited of UN officials and experts in the in the decision. They're all focused on on this issue of the conditions of life. So they cited UN UN officials on the displacement of 1.7 million Gazans, the terrible living conditions, the lack of hygiene, the lack of medical facilities, the spread of infectious disease, overcrowding in shelters, the reports of starvation and possible famine, all these issues, and also psychological trauma, which is another aspect of uh, the Genocide Convention, which which, which includes um, uh, co- deliberately causing uh, physical and uh, mental harm. So it mentions all these things. Obviously, it didn't cite any UN or humanitarian officials on mass ex- mass executions of Palestinians because that hasn't happened, and that clearly hasn't happened. So all all of the focus on what on the possible acts of genocide going on were on these issues of humanitarian living conditions. Uh, now uh, you have to also remember that for about I think fourteen days from the beginning of from October seventh to October twenty first, no hum- uh, humanitarian aid was allowed in. And there has, in fact, been big fights within the uh, Israeli security cabinet, which determines war policy, about letting humanitarian aid in. 
and the U.S. had to apply, uh, you know, quite quite heavy pressure on Israel to to do so and to increase that increase that humanitarian aid. And and the, the court as well cited comments by some of the problematic comments by Israeli officials, specifically related to the humanitarian aid issue. So Galant, you know, Yoav Galant, the defense minister, said we're cutting off everything, nothing's going in. The energy minister at the time is uh, Israel Katz said that you know no fuel's going in, nothing, we're not going to allow anything in. And so here we have to talk about, you know, we said that that on the one hand, it seems that the court maybe didn't have jurisdiction because it didn't order us to, to desist from acts of genocide. On the other hand, the bar here is not to make a final determination. The court is not requested or explicitly said it is not making final de- determination here. These are provisional measures to protect the rights while it comes to, of, of, of to protect the possible rights which might be being infringed of the Palestinians while it comes to a final decision, which could take you know years and years and years. So when when it issues those orders about uh, increasing humanitarian aid, it is perhaps taking this low bar of saying, well, is it possible that the South Africans' allegations are uh, correct in regard to the issue of humanitarian aid and to the issue of incitement to genocide? And we have had lots of problematic comments by some of the more extreme members of the of, of the cabinet. So I think this is where the court has kind of decided that in order not to dismiss that out of hand, and, and perhaps this is a political decision, uh, so it doesn't look bad in, in front of the global community, uh, it, it, it took up this issue of humanitarian aid and, and, and that's why it's focused on it and that's why it has decided to issue the orders. Uh, I think, as the court might say, that is a po- plausible scenario. We'll go to a short break and continue this discussion. You're listening to this podcast. So I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. The court doesn't really have any teeth per se, though they can make recommendations in the future to the UN Security Council. But do you think that Israel is now at the step in which it's going to take all of these provisions into consideration in prosecuting the war? Well, again, in terms of the in terms of the order to prevent to prevent genocide, essentially that was basically reminding Israel that it's signatory to the Genocide Convention. So therefore, the, Israel knows that and is aware of that, and will continue to not commit genocide. In terms of the humanitarian aid order, I think that this doesn't harm Israel or, or really the war effort, and therefore it wouldn't it would seem unlikely that Israel would you know would defy uh, the international court uh, on that measure. And in fact, a couple of days before the hearings earlier this month in the in the Hague, 
uh, Attorney General um, Gali Baharov Miara, perhaps rather late, issued a statement saying she is looking into examining and, and possibly investigating comments that might arise to incitement to, to genocide. So I, I think probably that her office will now take that issue, you know, perhaps more seriously than they than it has done until now, and and start to start to you know address what the the court has said on on that matter. What is the next step, Jeremy? Well, Israel has to report back according to the order uh, within within a month, and um, Israel will have to first the, the the security cabinet will have to decide how it wants to respond um, on you know particularly on the on those operative orders. Uh, in terms of looking into, uh, you know, preventing and punishing incitement to genocide and increasing humanitarian aid. So those decisions have to happen. Uh, they haven't happened yet. It's very early. And uh, I understand the, the the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Prime Minister's Office both said that, uh, you know, they will be, the, the government will be looking into those issues. It's, the bottom line is that this case has not been dismissed and it is an ongoing case. And the, the court essentially has said, we're, we're monitoring what's going on. We're tracking what's going on. And you have to report back to us in a month. Um, because we are concerned about the issues we've raised, so this is something which not something which is going to go away, and it's not something which we're just going to hear about, you know, in five years' time when the court comes to a final decision. This is something which uh, the Israeli government has to contend with uh, on an active basis. So tonight, Jeremy, you are meant to cover a conference which deals with the issue of resettling Gush Katif. The prime minister has firmly come out and said that this is not on the table in terms of planning for post-war resettlement. But this conference is meant to attract about 3,000 people at least. What are you expecting to see and hear there? Well, the, organi- the, the, the conference is being organized by a quite radical settlement group called Nahala, together with, I think, the Samaria District Council, which is one of the regional councils in the West Bank, and numerous other you know, settler activist organizations and, and some quite radical and even ultranationalist groups. And really, this this is addressing uh, a, a severe trauma, which the I would say the right wing and specifically the the settlement movement, settlement movement, and specifically the religious Zionist aspect uh, of the settlement movement. That trauma from two thousand and five, when Israel unilaterally disengaged uh, from the Gaza Strip, as it, as it was said, evacuated all the I think seventeen settlements from Gaza, and uh, and removed the eight thousand six hundred uh, Israelis who were living there, and that is something which, for like I said, for the religious Zionist segment of the population, was an ideological and almost a religious blow to them because because uh, religious Zionism uh, see, or parts of the religious Zionist movement seek the settlement of the entire land of Israel, which, in according to some interpretations, includes includes Gaza. And therefore, this was a kind of a setback to their ideological vision of eventually the, the you know the state of Israel becoming the, um, the 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 basis of the of the eventual final uh, redemption by the Messiah. So this was a religious trauma as well. So eighteen years after this disengagement, Israeli troops are now back in Gaza. Israel you know controls uh, and occupies parts of Gaza, and we have seen uh, you know this this fact being reflected in very. Uh, kind of, you know, hopeful statements by this segment of the population to re to resettle uh, and retake control of Gaza. Um, Batal Smotrich has indicated that he is in favour of, uh, of of settlements in Gaza. That's the finance minister. We've seen even um, uh, ministers from the Likud party last week, uh, Chaim Katz, the the uh, the tourism ministry, the tourism minister. He's from the Likud. He's, he's also secular. He explicitly endorsed 
um, creating Israeli settlements in Gaza. Um, Mickey Zohar, the cultural minister, also from the Likud, also, I would say, call him traditional, not secular, but he's not he's not a religious Zionist. He endorsed, uh, he, he, he didn't ex- endorse explicitly settlements in Gaza, but said settlement is very important. And we have to promote it and all, all around the land of Israel. So we, I think really what we're seeing here is the that that aspect that portion of the population backed by other more radical members of of, of the of the government and the coalition see, seeing here an opportunity to what they say uh, remedy and um, repair the damage which was done in 2005 and and this is the excitement for this group um in what is happening now and you i think you know we're going to see some of the veterans of the settlement movement daniela weiss who heads the nakhla movement like i mentioned um she's going to be there obviously and i think uh, people like um uh, rabbi shmuel eliao they just he uh, he's the chief rabbi of tzfat a very hardline uh right winger from the religious zionist movement and he is going to be uh, he, he endorsed the conference and i think he'll probably he'll probably make an appearance it could even be that the Finance Minister Smotrich might make it as well, although that would be highly controversial. But we could see some of some ministers uh, and especially some uh, for sure some MKs from from the coalition come there and endorse um, what is, you know, what is a very, very controversial uh, um, step. But not only in Israel, but also internationally, and the, it's possible that the conference, if if high-profile ministers make com- make uh, comments about settling Gaza tonight, then you know we could see uh, a reaction to that in um, you know from from foreign governments, including for- foreign allies. Listeners, of course, stay tuned to our live blog, and Jeremy will be sharing what he sees at the conference tonight. I uh, personally am looking forward to learning whether it is just all of these old timers coming back for another uh, round of of settling uh, the Gush Katif, or if the whole generation that has been raised since the disengagement are going to be part of the action as well. So stay tuned, all of us. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have a question about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>